Well, hey, Stone Creek, happy Easter. He is risen. You should turn to someone next to you and say, he is risen. He is risen. What a great day to celebrate Easter and what an unusual Easter that we're having. I, I would never have dreamed that I would have been preaching an Easter service to so many people in the room, but so many people online. Now, we really believe that God's going to use this situation and the technology that we've developed in all these churches all over the world to communicate the gospel to more people than have ever experienced in one day. We believe that billions of people today will celebrate the resurrection. And so we want to do that well today, Stone Creek. So if I could, let me pray for us. And then we just want to talk about the resurrection today. God, we love you and just are grateful that we have the hope of Easter, the hope of resurrection. God, we know that around the world, people are watching and listening and people are asking questions today. And God, we just pray that you'd step into their needs, step into their lives today in a way that's unique, a way that only you can do. We pray that the life of Jesus is represented well and that we see the hope that we can have in him. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. And have you guys ever heard this phrase, if the walls could talk? If, if the walls could talk, it, it, you know, walls can't literally talk. They don't technically talk, but, but if you were able to have some event, some historic event inside four walls, if those walls could tell the story, the message of what happened inside, those, inside that room, man, it would be something that would bring meaning to our life. You know, I wonder what it would have been like to been in the room where they signed the Declaration of Independence. Like to, to hear those guys and to know their stories and to see a little bit about their lives and what kind of arguments maybe they had and what compromises they made and what victories they won. I wonder what it would have been like to been in that room. I wonder what it would have been like to been in the offices of the New England Patriots when they got the phone call that Tom Brady was going to Tampa Bay. <laughs> the weeping and gnashing of teeth that would have happened. But you know, the walls don't technically talk, but they do tell a story. You know, you know I grew up in a, in a historic town. As a matter of fact, I grew up in the oldest city on the Mississippi River. It's not New Orleans, it's not St. Louis, it's Natchez, Mississippi, a town of 17,000. And you know, it's, it's probably still 17,000 today because you know, some things never change in small towns. And uh, the thing about Natchez is in the 1800s, it was a, it was a center of, uh, trans, of commerce on the Mississippi River as things that got shipped from the Ohio River Valley down to the Gulf of Mexico came through Natchez. It was this port city on the river and so much history happened there. It was called the, called the, um, the capital of Antebellum homes. It was cool before hipsters declared that the antebellum homes were cool. You know, my mom actually ran a bed and breakfast at an antebellum home called Dunleith. And uh, we got to live on the grounds and you see a picture of this home there. And Debbie and I spent many hours at this home, just sitting with my mom or helping her out around the bed and breakfast. And it just meant a lot to our family. And you know, the thing about Natchez now, it's, it's a tourist destination. You know, in a town of 17,000, Natchez will see over 700,000 tourists in a, in a regular year. You know, this would be the primary time of tourism, the spring where you have the crepe myrtles and the azaleas and the dogwoods blooming. You, we, I grew up with people from all over the world there. I can remember walking up and down Main Street, hearing people speaking German and French and Russian, just as all the tourists descended on this historic small town in the middle of South, uh, in the middle of the Southern United States, you know. But the thing about it, when you grow up in a historic place like that, you, you, don't, you don't always appreciate it. 
You know, I can remember my mom trying to help me understand the history and wanted me to have some culture and some heritage. And she would take me to some of these antebellum homes. And if I can make an understatement, it was not my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) I can remember the things that I did not like as a child. I remember uh, having to watch Days of Our Lives and give my TV up to my mom until (laughs) until I got in college. And then Days of Our Lives became a mainstay of my television diet. Um, I can remember hating to put on my church shoes to go to church or to a wedding or to a funeral anywhere where I had to dress up. And I hated going on tours of antebellum homes. I can remember going in these big homes with the drapes that were so long and all I wanted to do was swing from them like Tarzan in the jungle. You know, I can remember all the chairs had these little ropes on them that said, do not sit here. And all I wanted to do to sit was sit down because my legs were so tired. I know you parents can understand a little bit of that. I, I remember going to all these homes and just didn't appreciate it, but there was one home that I really liked and it was called Longwood. And the thing that I liked about Longwood was it was this, this, this um, construction site that the exterior was finished and it was modeled after the Taj Mahal. And the first floor was completed, but the rest of the house was incomplete. And the story to Longwood goes like this, that that construction workers from the Northeast United States would come in and they began building this house. And as the Civil War broke out and the Union soldiers got close to Natchez, they got word that they needed to leave. And so these construction workers literally dropped their tools right where they were and fled. And as I was a kid, the tools were still there. I can still remember seeing the hammers and the buckets and the saws and the measuring tools. I can still remember. And I remember thinking, man, what about the men that were building this house? Like if the walls could tell the stories about the tools that they dropped, about their dreams, about how these men talked and what they thought about life and they thought about their future, what would these walls say? And if the grave of Jesus had words, what would it say? If the grave could talk, what message would it have for our life? What story would it want us to understand? What meaning could it give to our current circumstances as well as to our future? So let's grab our Bibles, Stone Creek. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 24. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 24, uh, the story of Jesus' resurrection, the greatest story in the Bible, the greatest story in history. And if I could just give a little setup to that, you know, you, you may remember some of, this, some of the backstory. We know that on Friday, Jesus was executed, um, that he was murdered and that uh, he was taken from that tomb. He was taken from the cross by a guy named Joseph. Now, Joseph was a, a rich ruler. Joseph was a secret follower of Jesus. And so Joseph got permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross and place it in his own tomb. Now, now what's incredible about this particular tomb was that it was that God thought so much of the tomb, it was so important that he prophesied about it in the Old Testament that we knew before Jesus ever used the tomb that it would be borrowed and would be borrowed from someone who was rich. And this was Joseph's tomb. So Joseph gets permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross and he gets a guy named Nicodemus and they go to the place where they're gonna lay the body and they, they wrap his body in linen cloths and they, and they have to hurriedly prepare his body for burial because the Sabbath is coming and the Sabbath is a time when they can't work and they're not supposed to be touching a dead body because it makes them unclean. And so they hurriedly just got made some preparations, hoping to finish them after the Sabbath. Some women came along so that they would know where they had placed the body so that after the Sabbath was over, they could come back and finish preparing the body. A stone was rolled over the mouth of the tomb because there was this, this belief that the disciples were going to steal Jesus' body and then claim 
he was, had been resurrected from the dead. And so there was a stone and there was some Roman guards and there was the Roman seal that guaranteed anybody's death that tried to steal the body. So Jesus' body stayed in that tomb for three days. And then after it was over, we, we see the story of the resurrection. Chapter 24, verse one. It says, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They took spices that they had prepared. And this is the women who had come back to prepare the body of Jesus. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third and on the third day rise. And so in that we have, we have the story of this tomb. Now, now, now the resurrection is the central focus of Christianity. You know, this particular account of Jesus' resurrection was written by a guy named Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor, so he knew something about how the physical body would respond to being buried. And Luke also wrote the story of the early church in the book of Acts. So Luke wrote two volumes in the Bible. And as, as Luke wrote the story of Acts, we see that he writes about the early disciples and how they viewed what had happened. And the early disciples find themselves thrown into prison a lot. And the reason why they're thrown into prison is not because they saw a dead man. It's because they claimed that he rose from the dead. And we see this, this term raised from the dead or resurrection mentioned over 30 times in the book of Acts. Hey, listen, this is the central focus of Christianity. This is the message that we have. You know, imagine if that tomb could tell what happened in those three days. Man, I think about the tomb would tell the story of these two friends who gently and carefully pulled Jesus' body down and wrapped it in cloths and placed it on that cold stone slab and how tears probably ran down their face as they laid their dear friend to rest. He would tell the story of the women outside the tomb mourning, probably very loudly, so, because they, they had no category to understand what had happened to their Lord and Savior. It would tell the story of that stone being rolled over the entrance of the tomb and the darkness descend on that tomb. But then it, something unusual happened that the tomb had never experienced, that the grave had never seen before. A light dawns inside the grave. And it's an angel who has come. And that angel, his appearance causes the stone to roll away because it causes an earthquake. You know, some say that the, the earthquake was actually the grave jumping for joy at the resurrection of Jesus. And so what the grave had seen as a dead body in a tomb now is gone. And, and the cloths that had wrapped a dead body are now empty. They had, would have seen Jesus get up off of that slab and fold the cloth that was laid on his face and lay it down as he exited the tomb. And they would have seen the disciples come and find the tomb empty. Man, this tomb, man, had a story to tell. This is the crown of Christianity. This is the highlight of our hope. It is the finished work of our faith. And I think all heaven would lean in to listen to the story that the tomb told. You know, one thing that the tomb would tell is that, man, God takes what's impossible and makes it possible. Nobody had ever risen from the dead. They had no category for this happening. You know, and I think as we look at our own lives, we see so much death happen around us. You know, I think back to Kobe dying. 
just a few months ago and how that impacted so many of us. And not because we were necessarily Kobe fans, but there's a generation of young people that grew up watching Kobe play basketball with that Mamba mentality. And, and that, that someone that young shouldn't go so soon that it was taken too early. I, I think about maybe an older generation of us that, man, Jack Welch passes away this year. He dies, the neutron Jack who kind of revolutionized corporate leadership. And then what about Kenny Rogers, the gambler, right? He taught me how to gamble. Got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, don't you? And, and we see the coronavirus and we see so much devastation that happened. And I don't think the tomb is going to say you're going to die. I think we know that. We, we all know that that's going to happen. The tomb is not going to say you're going to die. The tomb is going to say you're going to die. Then what? What's going to happen then? Listen, when you come to terms with what happens after you die, you come to terms with how to live. When you come to terms with what happens after you die, you come to terms with how to live. It's the great clarifier of our lives when we understand what happens after we die. It will, it will inform how we make decisions, how we handle relationships. It'll form how we work, what jobs we take. It'll form how we view each and every second that we spend here when we know that our life is going to endure. Have you thought about what happens, not when you die, but after you die? I think the tomb would have you consider that question. You know, there's another question that comes up that I love what the angels ask here. I think it's an amazing question that happens in verse five. That the, the angels see the women and that they're frightened and that they're bowed down to the ground. And, and the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Like, why is it that you seek the living among the dead? I think this is a question that the grave could ask us. Like, why would you seek somebody who's alive in a place where people are dead. Now, now, clearly the implication there is that Jesus has risen from the dead. But I think beyond that, what is communicating that God is a God of life, that our God is a God of life, that everything we look, everywhere we go, everything we believe has to do that our God is a God of life and God is good. You know, in, G, in John chapter 10, Jesus said it this way, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. I would come that you would have life and have it to the full. And I think every single one of us is looking to live a life worthy of eternity. I think we're looking to live a life worthy of eternity, of ultimate satisfaction. That's the way God has wired us. God has placed eternity in our hearts so that we would live that way. But so many times we are looking for life in places that only bring death. We're looking for life in places that can't deliver what we're looking for. You know, there, there's three different areas we tend to look in. One is our appetites. One is our ambitions. And one is the approval of other people. We tend to look in those places to give us life. I mean, think about your appetites for a minute. Like I can remember as a kid getting a toy, having to have that toy, so excited to get that toy. As soon as I get that toy, what happens? It breaks. It ever happened to you? I can remember, I can remember getting those little balsam airplanes that you can get it like at the grocery store or maybe at the gas station and begging my mom to buy me one. And I'd get it out and put it together and I'd fly it maybe one time. And what happens? It crashes, it breaks. And then I'm all upset because my life is over. The very thing that's supposed to bring me ultimate joy is broken. And we do this in life. You know, as you read the news today, what's happening is people with this, with this change in our circumstances, man, man, our appetites are running wild. And that people aren't eating better, they're eating worse. What about you? You eating worse, right? People aren't exercising more, they're exercising less. We see that people are medicating more. We, we also see that the number of people that are looking at things on their computer 
has increased dramatically. And I would tell you what those things are, but this is a family-friendly service because your kids are probably in the room. But you know what I'm talking about. And we see that our appetites get out of control and God's given us appetites. But the reason why we have an appetite is to point to him, that God is our ultimate satisfaction. He proved it in the resurrection that he's the only one that can satisfy our eternal desires. So when we look somewhere else, it's not gonna bring life. It's gonna bring death. You know, another place is in, is in the approval of other people. Man, we look for the approval of other people. Have you ever noticed maybe, maybe you don't get invited to a party and you find out about it and you're mad, but you wouldn't have gone anyway? <laughs> you just want to be accepted. You know, I know some of you probably always get invited to the party, um, but sometimes we just, we want the approval of other people so desperately and we think it's going to provide some validation in our life, but it only, it only leads to death. Approval. Man, we, we try to get approval even through our kids' success. Sometimes we want them to succeed so that we look successful, but in the end, it only leads to less than we hoped. It only is empty. Man, approval. Another one is Ambition. And another one is ambition, man. We, we feel like if we can succeed, if we can excel, if we can move up the ladder, we will, be, we will have value because of what we've accomplished. And what happens, that, is that, all, that bar is always moving and we're always grasping and always climbing and always going up. And in the end, you know what Paul says about that? He said his greatest desire, forgetting what lies behind and, and reaching for what lies ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, the reason why you're looking for life is because it's placed inside you. And if you don't look for life in the one who conquered death, you'll always come up short. You will always come up short. I mean, I think that what this time should do when, when Easter has collided with, with man, the, the greatest disruption of our lives we've ever experienced, it should cause us to do two things. Number one, identify what endures. We should identify what endures and we should simplify around that. Listen, we need to identify what endures and simplify around that. Have you noticed how much you don't need to be doing? Like, like all the activities that we spend our times doing and we, we don't need all of them. Now, now I know for some of you guys that have small kids, you need some more activities and I will pray for you. <laughs> I, I understand that, but think about all the hurry, all the going, all the moving, all the, all the places we need to be and hurry is killing us. And all we ever say is I'm so busy. And now's the time for us to identify what's really important in our schedules and our activities. Hey, what about your budget? Like you don't need all the money you thought you did. How, how simple has our budget become now? I mean, I start looking through my budget, all the things I don't need as long as I stay off of Amazon. And fortunately, they don't wanna ship to me right now. Um, but, but my budget is, Debbie and I have gone through and identified areas that we don't need to spend money on. Man, I don't need to pop in the grocery store. I don't need to go over to Costco just because I feel like it, right? We, our budgets are simplified. Our priorities are simplified. I mean, I've spent more time on the phone and talking to my neighbors in the last three weeks than I have probably in the last three months. You know, Debbie and I, as we go walking down the street, we can see everybody's out because it's the only thing they have to do. And we have met more neighbors that have just moved in. We have talked to neighbors. We've prayed for people in our front yard and we've had such an opportunity to reprioritize our life. We spent much, much more time praying together as a couple than we ever have. And so now's the time. Don't waste this time. Identify and simplify around the God who is life and ask yourself, man, are the activities you're in, the money you're spending, the priorities you have, are they leading you to life or are they coming up short and empty? Identify and simplify. And then, of course, after this question, man, we see in verse six where the angel says this, he is not here, but has risen. 
He has risen. Now, Luke, again, the guy who wrote this is a doctor. Luke knows that death always wins. Like death, death is undefeated. Death looks at someone and says, looks at Jesus' body and says, bump, 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 another one bites the dust. It ain't bragging if you can back it up. And the, the death always wins. The grave always stays full. And Luke knows this, but now, now the grave is empty. And so what the tomb would tell us is there's one who didn't. There is one who conquered death. There is one who wins. There is one to place our hope in. And if he can conquer death, we better anchor our lives to him. If he's the only one, we better be sure that we are tethered to the one who does not move. Like the only way you know what you're anchored to is through tension. You know, when you drop an anchor over the side of a boat and you begin to let it out, you don't know if you're truly anchored until you pull some tension on that. And if there's one word to describe our circumstances in these days, it's tension, isn't it? A little bit of stress. You, not me, because I don't get stressed. I'm a pastor. We never get stressed out. You know, it's stress, it's tension. And what can happen in times of tension, even with our lives, is we find out what we're anchored to. And one of the things that I think I remember feeling on that Wednesday night is I'm listening to our president give his address and he closes, this was three weeks ago, and he closes off the borders of Europe. I realized life has changed. And immediately I felt out of control. And I think for many of us, that's how we feel. We feel out of control. And if you feel out of control, it could be because you're not anchored to the one who's not moving, that, the one who conquered death, the one who can give you the life that you're looking for. It could be that you're feeling anxiety, worry, depression, whatever it may be. And certainly some of those emotions, some of those feelings and thoughts are normal and natural, but we need to be able to turn our attention towards the one who conquered it all and promises to give us the life that we've all been looking for. And that is Jesus. So grateful for the resurrection, even during this time. You know, you know one of the things that I've noticed as we've been uh, kind of navigating this uh, shelter in place is all the things that take for granted. You know, all, all the little things that, that we like to do or get, get used to doing that I take for granted. You know, one of the things I take for granted is punching in my pin code on the debit card pad. And now I'm looking for a napkin or a rubber glove or something to pay for things, you know, because I'm a little concerned. You know, another thing I miss doing, touching my face. <laughs> because I, my nose always itches now and I don't know why. You know, I, I miss just going to the gas station. I miss having friends over. Man, I miss staff meetings with our team. I miss being with you on Easter in our building. Man, there's so many things that I take for granted that, that, that we just do each and every day. And I wonder how many of us over the last few weeks have taken the resurrection for granted. I wonder how many of us haven't lived in the power of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection that God wants to give us in our life. How, for how many of us have we grown up going to church? We know the story. We've heard it before. Man, we've read about it. And, and it just becomes old hat. It just becomes commonplace. It just becomes mundane. Listen, the early church never took it for granted and they changed the world. The early disciples never took it for granted and they lived lives worthy of eternity. And that's who we need to be. That's who you can be. Let's don't take it for granted, Stone Creek. Don't take the resurrection for granted. You know, the tomb would probably speak to us in so many different ways. You know, it's not, it's not audible, but it articulates our hope. 
It doesn't, it doesn't speak, but it reveals our victory. It doesn't have a voice, but it tells a story of life in three words. He is risen. Let's pray together. So let's just bow our heads right where we are and in your living room, in your bedroom, out on your back deck, in your kitchen right now. And some of you who are listening to my voice, you know that you've taken the resurrection for granted. I mean, you haven't lived in the power of the resurrection. You haven't, you haven't understood the implications for your life. You haven't, you haven't followed the one who was resurrected from the dead, the perfect one, Jesus, who died for our sins that we may have life, that who took our death on him that we could be raised to walk in a new way of life, who, who, who died the death that we should have died so that we could live the life that he is living. This is the Jesus that we serve. And today can be a new day for you. Today can be different for you. You can, you can stop taking the resurrection for granted. And the way that you do that, number one, is just to admit that you've tried to do it all on your own, that you've tried to live life under achieving your ambitions and looking for other people's approval and satisfying your appetites. Just admit that. Then it's come up short. And, and, and to just believe that Jesus died for your sins and was raised again to walk, help you walk in a new way of life. And then to just commit your life to follow him. Man, and if that's your desire today, I would love to just lead you in a prayer right where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Man, what matters is the state of your heart and your communication with God. So let me just lead you in a prayer if this is something you would like to do for the first time. Dear God, I just admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've fallen short of your glory. I admit that I pursued my own life in my own way and it has not worked. It's delivered anxiety and confusion and stress. I trust you today with my life. I trust that my sins are forgiven because of your death on the cross and your resurrection to a new life. And I believe that you will give me a new life. I commit my life to follow you for the rest of my days. You know, and the Bible teaches us that when we pray that and commit our lives to follow Jesus immediately, we're a new creation. Old things have passed, new things have come. That you now have life in a place where maybe you were experiencing death. And I think it's really important for us in these kind of times to mark the moment. You know, if we were in the building together, one of the things that we would do to mark a moment is we would raise our hand in the same way that Jesus was raised to life. And so I'm gonna invite you right where you are. Maybe, maybe you're with your family, maybe you're alone, maybe you're with some friends, maybe you're just hanging out somewhere and all of a sudden this, this sermon has, caught, has captured your attention. I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand when I count to three, just to mark this moment as a day of new life for you. On the count of three, just slip your hand in the air. One, two, three. I mean, I believe all over the place that people are raising their hand. I believe that every people, all, if you've raised your hand, just go ahead and drop it in the comment section right there. We would love to follow up with you. And if you've raised your hand, this is a new day for you. You have a new life to live. You're a new creation. God promises to give you new life and he promises to raise you after your physical death. He promises that you'll live with him forever, forever just like Jesus does. So we, we wanna be able to help you in that journey. So if that's you today, if you prayed and you raised your hand, we wanna help you. So just, you can drop your email in the comment section or also you just go to our website and you can go to our contact form. So we would love to put some resources in your hand so that you can continue to walk with God through these times, but beyond Corona and beyond quarantine for the rest of your days.
God, we're grateful for life change and for the resurrection. Help us to live in light of the resurrection, everything that we do, and help us to elevate the name of Jesus, the one who conquered death, who conquered the grave, and now lives forever. It's in his name we pray, amen.